Well, it's good to be back together here at Door Creek. If you want to know what happened last week, it really wasn't about a snowstorm. I just couldn't figure out this passage here, and the Lord knew I needed an extra week. (laughs) So um, I'm reminded we should pray. Lord, we just sang what is the desire of our hearts, and that's to know you better. There's people here that don't even know you yet, and we long for them to know you, and there's a bunch of us that do, and we want to grow to know you more. So use your word through the power of your spirit to do that, to change our hearts and our desires. And we pray as we do that, that we would honor you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. How old were you when you figured out that life doesn't work out like the fairy tales? I mean, everything and everyone doesn't live happily ever after. Do you remember when you first realized that? For me, it was the seventh grade. Elizabeth Feeney, she broke my heart. We were going steady. I mean, it was in the notes. She sent the notes through her friends to my friends that came to me. And I sent the notes back to her through my friends to her friends, and we agreed we were going to go steady. I still don't know what that meant. But we were going steady, right? We had a relationship. And then the note came back three months later that it was over. We were through. What do you mean we're through, Elizabeth? You're the woman of my dreams. I thought we were going to be married. We were going to live happily ever after. It's not like that, is it, in life? That's kind of a silly, childish story where it broke through for me for the first time. But for most of us, it wasn't silly, childish things. It was hard things. It's like when your grandfather or your grandmother died. Someone close to you. Maybe when your parents split up. It's not happily ever after. Maybe it was when you moved and you were uprooted from all your close friends and you're in high school. You're going, this stinks. Or is that life-changing illness just broke you up, woke you up to that reality? You know, life is hard. And it has a way of tearing away at hope. It has a way of just crushing our sense of worth. It has a way of just depleting us of strength and power. Anybody here feeling hopeless this morning? I mean, you look out in the future... It's not very bright. There's no light at all in your future. I mean, when you think about it, you wonder, when am I ever going to have that friend? Will I ever find a, a soulmate and get married? Some of us wonder, are we ever going to get that job? Am I ever going to find help for, for our marriage, for my addiction? For my disease, my anger, my debt, hopelessness. Anybody feeling hopeless this morning? When you're feeling hopeless, it's really easy to start feeling worthless. Anybody here feeling worthless this morning? You can't seem to measure up. You've been traded in for another person, a a new friend, a new spouse. 
You've been cut from another tryout, turned down by another school, another job opportunity. You're still waiting to hear just one word of praise from your dad, from a spouse, from your boss. You're wondering if the kids are ever going to wake up one day, moms, and say, hey, thanks, mom. Thanks for all that you do. And when we feel hopeless and worthless, it's so easy to feel powerless. Is anything going to change? You've tried everything to bring change to the things that you know you so desperately want to change. You're feeling powerless. Well, what do you do? What do you do when life just sucks the hope out of you, crushes your sense of worth, and leaves you feeling completely powerless? Where do you go? What do you do? Well, this morning, we're going to go to God. We're going to look into his word. And as we look into his word this morning, here's what God's word says. When we know God, when we grow in our knowledge of him, he gives hope and worth and power. That's where we're going this morning. Now, you know we started two weeks ago our series in Ephesians. Our identity in Christ, chapters 1 through 3. Our mission for Christ, chapters 4 through 6. Paul's written this letter. We know a clue of why he's writing it in chapter 4, verse 1. He's urging us, God's people, to live in a manner that's worthy of our calling. So that we understand who we are in Christ and then live in a way that measures up to who we are in Christ so that we live it out in all of life. And the cross is at the heart of our identity and it's the heart of our mission. And we started two weeks ago and it's this great, great song of praise. He's singing praise and he's reminding his friends, we've got everything in Christ, every spiritual blessings. Chapter one, verse three. And he goes from praise to prayer and here's the gist of his prayer he says I don't want you to forget what you have remember Hearst the newspaper mogul the guy who's got all kinds of money and he has this habit this hobby chasing down the world's greatest treasures and so he reads about one he sends his guys after it remember what happens they come back and they said you already own it it's in your warehouse You don't have to buy it again. And Paul is convinced that the same thing that happened to Hearst could happen to his friends, could happen to me, to us. That we'd forget what we have. This treasure in Christ. That we'd forget it. And so he prays that we won't. Prays that we won't. His prayer really brings out one fundamental question that really has in it a prior question. And the fundamental question is, are you growing in your relationship, in your knowledge of God? But it assumes the first question. Do you know God? So let's look at that first question. Do you know God? And then we'll get into the gist of this passage. Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Now when I ask the question, do you know God? How would you answer that? I mean, some of us would say, yes. Some of us would say, I'm not sure I really know him. What do you mean? Well, let me ask you this. Do you know this, this man up here on the, on the picture here, on the screen? 
Everybody know him? Raise your hand if you know this man. All right, who is he? All right, well, what do you know about him? Well, here's some facts. I think you know this. Former governor of Texas, right? 43rd president of the United States. Wife, Laura. He's got his twin daughters. There's probably a bunch of other things we know. We know all these things about George Bush, our president, right? But just let me ask another question. How many of you have ever been to Camp David? Anybody here this morning been to Camp David? Anybody had dinner with the Bushes, like in the White House, Pennsylvania Avenue? Any hands? No? Me either. We know him so well, don't we, that we could even say, if we didn't see the picture, just heard the voice, I could tell you who that is. But the fact is, we know about him, but we don't know him personally. I mean, I haven't even gotten one of those Christmas cards. I haven't got that. He doesn't have a clue who I am. And apparently, he doesn't have a clue who you are. We know about him. The question, do you know God, is not a question, do you know some things about him, some facts about him. It's not about some external, some superficial facts. It's about a deep, personal relationship. See, that word knowledge in the Bible is talking just about that. A deep, close, personal relationship. Do you have a personal relationship with God? That's the first question before we can ask ourselves, like the text does, are you growing in that relationship? And you wonder maybe this morning, well, can we? Can I know God personally? How? Well, look in your Bibles and we get a clue on how that's possible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, page 826. So if you don't have a Bible, grab one there in the rack in front of you. And if you don't have one at home, please take that one with you. We encourage you in your journey of faith and following Christ or finding out who He is. All right, you there? Chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. He goes on to say, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. How can you have a personal relationship with God? And the answer in the Bible here is through faith. Through faith in his son. His son, Jesus Christ. And he's giving thanks that they have that faith. And it's that that faith that was rooted in the word of God that they heard, chapter 1 Verse 13, they heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and having heard it, they believed, and having believed it, they received the Holy Spirit. They came in in this relationship with God, His Spirit in our hearts. They have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know they had the real thing? Well, it's the real thing because... This faith is in the right person. It's in the right place. You know, it's a big misnomer in our day where we confuse earnestness for effectiveness when it comes to faith. If someone really earnestly believes something, then it must be true and it must be good for them. We could be deceived, friends, and earnestly believe with all of our hearts that as we jump off the Sears Tower, we can fly. But just because we earnestly believe that doesn't mean it's true. And that we're going to land safely on Michigan Avenue or wherever it is. It's not going to happen. Their faith is in Jesus Christ, 
That's the right place because that is God's solution to all that we need in life. They're trusting in Him. And we know it's the real thing because not only are they trusting in Him, but they're recognizing Him, recognizing him Paul says, as Lord. A little word, you might gloss over it. It's an important word. They don't just see Jesus as their Savior. They see Jesus as their Lord. They've relinquished control of their life. It's like, okay, Lord, I've been driving the car my life, and I've been crashing and banging and all kinds of things, and I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I'm giving you the keys. I'm sliding over here to the driver. Say, you, you run my life. He says, they've done that. I know they've got genuine faith because they've relinquished and are continuing to submit their lives to Christ so that he has rule and say over every area of their life. But there's one other thing that says it's the real deal. He says, I thank God not only for your faith in the Lord Jesus, but I thank him for your love for all the saints. True faith shows up in love. Not just for the ones I want to choose in love because you're lovely, but for everyone, all the saints, all of God's family. Those are the marks of true faith. And because this was true, that they had this relationship through faith in God's Son, that faith growing out of their understanding and hearing of God's Word, experiencing that relationship through the Spirit, they now love God's people, and he sees that in verse 16. What does he say? He says, I can't stop giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So as we get into this prayer now, The big question is, are you growing in that knowledge? Are you growing in that relationship? But the important first question is, do you have it? Do you know God personally? If you're new to Door Creek, one of the things that we pray would be really um, true for your own experience is that you understand that that actually is possible. That you can have a relationship that's personal and intimate that radically changes your life and every part of your life. Do you have that relationship? Well, then he gets into the gist of it. Are you growing? And, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing if you're coming here and you go, man, I'm just new to this whole thing. You know, I think I just started believing this in the last few weeks. Well, it's a good thing for you to hear that. And maybe it's a better thing for some of us who've been in this journey for 50 years. Because the question isn't, do I know all this stuff about God? It's, do I have this relationship that's dynamic and I'm growing in it? So you, you may have gotten to the point where we said Ephesians 1, you're going, I don't know, where is it? I'm sure glad for page numbers. I don't know where these books of the Bible are. I'm just starting in this thing. Hey, we're all in process. We're all in process of growing to know him better. And so he says, I want you, in verses 17 and following, to grow. Look at what he says. This is his prayer, the heart of his prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. There it is. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
knowing him better. Remember what Socrates said? Plato tells us that Socrates taught, know thyself. Paul says, know God. And the way to knowing God is to know his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul would say what we just sung, I want to know Christ, Philippians 3.10. The power of his resurrection is share in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know Christ because he was convinced that that's how you know God. I mean, how do you know God who's infinite, eternal, who's a spirit? How do we know? How do our finite minds get around that? How do you have a relationship with that which is spiritual and immaterial? It's through Christ through Christ. Christ is called the Word of God. Why do we use words? Why am I using words right now? So that you'll understand truth. So I can communicate with you the meaning of God's Word. Jesus is called the Word. He communicates what God is like. So the writer of the book of Hebrews says he's the radiance of God. He's the exact representation of his being. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. So how do we know God? Through his son, Jesus Christ. And and here's how it works. The more I know of Christ, the more I know of the Father. And so when... The Holy Spirit shines a spotlight on Christ and you'll notice there's two ways in the text that we can grow to know Him better. Prayer and the Spirit. When that Spirit shines the spotlight on Christ, all of a sudden we know more about God. So when we see Christ who's come in the flesh, we know, wow, our Father is a loving God because He sent His Son for us to die on the cross. When the Spirit shines a spotlight on Christ, We see Christ and we go, wow, our God is merciful because I deserve to die. But Jesus died in my place. When I see the Son, I see that God doesn't wink at sin. Justice is really important to him. And the reason I know that is Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sin. And when I see Jesus, I see the power of God. I see him raised up from the dead. When I see Jesus, I see the compassion and mercy of God as he reaches out to the least likelies that were living in his day, the lepers, the widows. When I see Jesus, I understand that the Father, he's faithful. He is faithful, not just to his son, that he wouldn't abandon him to the grave, but he's faithful to his promise that he gave way back in Genesis when he said to Eve, hey, Eve, one of your descendants is going to crush the serpent's head, the enemy's head, and I am going to reverse the curse. He's faithful. So how do we grow to know God better? Well, through prayer, through the Spirit's help. Paul's praying for his friends. We need to pray. We need to pray for ourselves. Lord, help me to want to know you better. Help me to get it, to see you. We pray for each other. We pray for this church. Lord, help us. Help us to have eyes wide open to who you are so that we want to know you more and become more like your son. And give us the spirit. You notice the role of spirit. He prays that the spirit would come, the spirit that gives wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of our hearts can see 
So that's his thrust. That's his prayer. That should be our prayer. His prayer is, Lord, help my friends. Help them to grow in their understanding of who you are. And then he gets into three particulars where he wants them to grow, where he wants us to grow. You see that in those three things in verses 18 and 19. The hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and the incomparable greatness of his power. That's where we need to grow as we grow in our understanding of who God is, as we grow in our relationship with him, as we grow to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. So first then, the hope. We're to grow in the hope. Whose hope? It's the hope that comes from his calling. Uh, How does that mean? His calling. What is the hope of his calling? What is his calling? His calling is his salvation. Remember when Jesus started his ministry on this earth? He sees some guys fishing and he says, Hey, Peter, James, John, drop your nets. Come and follow me. He called them into a relationship. When the scriptures talk about his calling, it's talking about God's saving purposes that we know started way back before the beginning of time. His purposes that are filled with grace. He called us because he loved us. Remember chapter 1, verse 4. Chosen before the foundations of the earth to be holy and blameless. In love, he's predestined us to be adopted as his sons. Why did he choose us? Why did he adopt us? Why did he have Christ die on the cross? And why would he forgive us of our sins? Why would he give us his spirit? Because of his grace. Because of who he is. Not because of who we are. And he says, I want you to have eyes wide open to the hope that is ours in his calling. His calling that is filled with grace. Now, why is that, why is that good? Why does that give us hope today? Because if you're like me, you're not there yet. Yeah, my identity's in Christ. I'm trying to grow to become more like him. But the bottom line is, I'm not there yet. All you got to do is ask Lori and the kids. Not there yet. We're not there yet. And when we're not there yet, man, it can get us so discouraged and we can get so down on ourselves and the, and the cycle just starts to go from hopeless to worthless to powerless. And he wants to remind us and have us be reminded continually the way we got into this relationship was never based on our performance. So get over that right now and celebrate his grace. That's the hope of his calling. You know what that means then when we come to this place? When grace has really gripped our lives, the hope of his calling, then we don't have to put on these masks where we try to pretend that everything in our life, everything in our marriage is okay. And then someone walks into this place and goes, I know I'm not but everybody around me looks like they're okay and they talk like they're okay. Hey, we're not there yet. We are in process and we're celebrating his grace. That's how we got into this relationship. That's where we are today. Don't change paradigms and now say, okay, saved by grace, but now I know I'm supposed to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. So I'm gonna work, work, work. Yeah, we do. We work at our relationship, but we do it on the foundation of grace. 
realizing that if I mess up today, that God didn't just say, whoa, now I love you less because of what you did. It's always been unconditional. And that gives us hope. And the hope of his calling is to a better place, not just to grace. You know, every time we open, I, I, I know you want a better place. The re- here's why I know. Because every time we open the newspaper or turn on the, the news and we hear about more suicide bombs, we hope for a better place. Every time one of your close friends or family members calls and gives you the shocking news that they've been diagnosed with cancer, you long for a better place. Every marriage that is close to you that ends up in divorce, you long for a better place. We were made for a better place, and this isn't it. And the hope of his calling is not just his grace today, but the new place, heaven. No pain, no sickness, no sorrow, no sin, no disease, no poverty, no war, no alienation, no loneliness, no depression, no drugs. We're home in heaven. That is the hope. Of his calling. Corrie Ten Boom tells a story of when she was in the German concentration camp that somebody smuggled in a Bible. And so in Barracks 28, they started reading the Bible and they had studies together around the Bible. And there's this growing group of believers. And Barracks 28 became known in the whole camp as the crazy place where they hope. Well, that would be a great reputation for Door Creek Church. The crazy place. They're crazy. They have hope. There is so much hopelessness in our world. There is so much hopelessness right here. And the reason there's hopelessness is because we don't see God. And Paul says, I want their eyes to be open to see God. And in seeing God, I'm praying that you'll see the hope of his calling in your life. May we be a place where people find the hope of the gospel. Second, he prays for the riches of his glorious inheritance to be known. And this is the surprise. Every time you read the Bible, it's always good to ask the question, what's surprising here? What caught me off guard? This was the surprise. The second thing he prayed for, because I thought he was going to say, I pray that the eyes of your heart are going to be opened wide so that you understand this boatload of riches that God is going to give you as your inheritance. And he says completely the opposite. It's not about what he's giving you. It's about who you are, who we are. He says, I want you to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, in the church in us, that we actually are how God counts his, his treasures. So how do you feel? Look at these two pictures. Which one better describes how you feel this morning? Your treasure chest full of great things or you feel like a dumpster of trash or somewhere in between? When hopelessness erodes, it's easy to feel worthless. And Paul says, hey, this isn't about what you get. This is about who you are. And here's who you are in God's eyes. Your treasure. Your treasure. You're kidding. I don't feel like treasure. 
I don't act like treasure. You're treasure. But you know what he's saying? It's not just about you individually. It is an application to us individually. But it's how do we see the church? Because basically what he said here is the church, it's in the saints, the riches of his glorious inheritance. It's not just in you, in me. It's in us together. That's how God counts his wealth. We are his treasured possession. Deuteronomy 14.2 makes that point very clear. And this is how God has always felt about his people. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Wow. There's hope. There's worth. We ought to grow in that, and we will as we grow to know him better. But here's an application that we don't want to miss. The church is God's treasured possession. It's his most valuable, precious possession. Huh. Is that how I think about the church? Is that how we think about the church? It's at the center of his purposes. It's at the center of his affections. It is the most priceless thing that belongs to God. His church. Now that means for some poor brother or sister that's living out, living down in the slums of Cairo, they don't have anything. That person is God's treasured possession. Wow. Do we think those kinds of thoughts about the church? Or or is it like, well, that's just something we do. It's just a little part of my life. We're not a little part of God's life. We're a big part. We're a big part. And that ought to change how we think about the church. Well, there's a third thing. The third thing is that we would know God's incomparably great power. Look at verses 19 through 23. Here's what he says about that power that he wants us to be acquainted with. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He says, I want you to know this power. What power? Resurrection power. We're talking about from dead to life. I want you to know this power, ascension power that took Jesus from earth to heaven. I want you to know that kind of move to another level power in your life. I want you to know about his ruling power, his victorious power, where the one who hung on the cross and was spat at by his enemies now stands over all enemies for all time. It's eternal power. He says, I don't want you to know it cognitively. I want you to experience his power in your life. So that thing that you've been wrestling with, like pornography, that thing like you've been wrestling with, like the bottle. That thing that you've been wrestling with, like that bottle of pills. That thing that you've been wrestling with, like your anger. That thing that you've been wrestling with, where there's envy and, and you want things that don't belong and you're not content. And you go, I want to get rid of this stuff, and I don't know how. Paul says, I, I want you to know about God's power. This kind of power that can spring you to life. It can lift you to the heights and bring victory in your life. 
I long that you know that. Do you have that power? You're growing in that understanding. This is what we have. And Paul says, don't forget it. Don't put it away in a warehouse and forget it. Remember it. And may your growing knowledge and relationship with God have you growing in hope and worth. May it have it growing in strength and power. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we pray for those who don't yet know you. We pray, dear God, that you give them faith to believe the truth of your word. For those of us who do, encourage those who are new at the faith and feel like neophytes and they don't belong. Help them to know they do belong. They're your children. They're part of your royal treasury. May they continue to grow in grace and help us who've been walking with you for a while. Help us not to be stagnant. Help us not to rest on what we know now of you. May we continue to grow. And in this place, as we grow to know you better, may hope abound. May our perspective change, not only of our own lives in Christ, but of the church. May that change how we relate to this place, these people, your people all over the world. And may we continue to see your power changing lives. And we'll give you all the glory. Amen.